Hello and welcome to 10 by 9 where 9 people have up to 10 minutes each to tell a true story from their own life. Started by Padraig Otuma and Paul Doran, that's me, in Belfast in 2011. And this is the 10 by 9 podcast. There are two stories in this podcast, one from our recent live event in the Black Box, our first for 18 months, when the theme was gratitude, and one from our Zoom event in July on Seaside Stories. So, let's start with that. Here's David Simpson. Memories are all about time. Some stay with you unchanged. Others, with the passage of time, you come to see differently. I'd like to tell you about one of each, separated by 39 years. I was about 11 the year my mother booked a caravan holiday on a farm in Devon. I liked family holidays because my dad wasn't so cross. At home, he was always correcting us. Get up off the floor, sit on a chair. Don't slouch, sit up straight. Stop fiddling with the cutlery. Take your hands off the table. He worked for ICI, Imperial Chemical Industries. My mum was a college lecturer. We were the first ones in our street to get a car, a lime green Ford Anglia, registration 137 JHT. We drove the Anglia to Devon. My mother studied the maps. At some point she would have exclaimed, it's there, turn right, go into that farmyard. We pulled in and mum knocked on the door. The farmer came out, he got into his tractor and we drove behind him, meandering along narrow Devon lanes, hedgerows bursting with flowers and grasses. He stopped his tractor at the gate of a big field full of wheat or barley. And I remember feeling confused. Where's our caravan? We followed him into the field and I breathed a sigh of relief. Halfway down the right-hand side, there was one long caravan. On past it was an old wood shed. The field ended at a cliff with a view over the sea, a neighboring headland and the big white stretches of a summer sky. He showed us around the caravan, then took us outside and pointed out where to turn on the gas and the water. Then he headed off to the woodshed. We followed him, wondering what was in it. He stood back from the entrance with a smile on his face. Peering inside, we saw a chemical toilet with a roll of toilet paper hanging from a nail on the wall. This is yours, declared the farmer. The door blew off two years ago, and no one has ever complained, so we've left it open to the view. Back in the caravan, we got our own little bedrooms. It was strange sleeping on my own, as me and my twin brother Martin had always shared a room. At the end of the caravan was a table with benches on all sides, surrounded by windows looking out to sea. I remember breakfast at that table. On holiday, we always had Kellogg's variety pack. 
The big treat was to have more than one box for breakfast. Either you ate one box and left enough, enough milk for another one, or you put two boxes in together. Some days we sat as a family and played board games, probably Cluedo or Monopoly. My dad liked playing Vingt-un, a French card game. And as he was still a smoker, he'd like lots of matches, blow them out, then share them between us as chips for betting on the cards. One evening we had lobster for tea. I remember being told by my mum it was a special treat and that lobsters were what posh people ate. She taught us how to pick the meat out of the claws with a sewing needle. It all seemed like a lot of fiddly work for a tiny bit of lobster. I liked sitting on the steps of the caravan, looking out at the wheat waving gently on invisible eddies of air. Sitting in the toilet during the day, there was a headland standing proud, covered in a jigsaw puzzle of fields. Around its base, the sea broke its inward tide. The rest of the view was sea and sky, shades of blue and green in the water and white and blue above. At night, I had to take a torch to have a pee. We were woken one morning by loud noises in the field. A huge combine harvester was cutting the wheat down. It went on for hours. I watched the men working alongside this huge machine. One of them smiled and waved, but I remember feeling shy and rushed back into the caravan. That night I had an asthma attack. It was scary, but my mom had an inhaler for me, which helped. From the end of the field, we walked down a path to the beach. There were always people and children about, but they'd had to drive to the beach. We walked straight from our caravan down the cliff path and onto the beach. And if I had my swimming costume on, I walked right into the sea. It was great. One day I was out swimming. There was nothing better than floating on my back and watching the clouds. Only you had to be careful if the waves were a bit rough as they would splash over into your mouth or worse still, up your nose. I'd been in the water for a while and wanted to get out. I put my right foot down on the sand. Ow! I felt a sharp, quick pain in the sole of my feet. I walked on and the pain stopped. But as I walked further, it started to get worse. I was scared. I still had to wade my way through the waves. Pain, getting worse. I started to cry. Through my tears, I saw my father running towards me. He scooped me up in his arms. I struggled to tell him my foot and my leg hurt. He swung me onto his back and I collapsed against his shoulders. Through the pain and tears, I felt my daddy carrying me. We had to climb back up the path to the car. I felt his body warm and his muscles moving as he adjusted my weight. His arms were crossed under my thighs. He was carrying me. I was put in the car and taken to the local doctor 
He said there was a fish that lived just under the sand and was quite harmless unless you trod on it. Then it pushed up a poison spike. He said they were quite common on these beaches. I don't remember whether I had pills or an injection. I'd felt my daddy didn't like me. I didn't know what to make of him carrying me to safety. But after all, I was 11. I don't imagine thoughts about it stayed with me much longer than the next ice cream. But I do know there were no grand reconciliations, no falling into each other's arms, no saying I love you. He got stricter as we hit teenage years and more distant. He didn't hold me again. My father's dead now, a long time. 39 years after that holiday, I wrote in this poem. Some appreciations come too late. As a teenager in the 60s, I was too busy fighting you over flares and freedom. You could not have shamed me into manners. Now a stepfather and a grandfather, I see what you did for me. I read about the British in, in India where you spent your first years. I imagine you traveling to Britain at five years of age on a boat sailing halfway around the world without your father. No brothers or sisters to chew over the changes. Wounded and left for dead in the desert, damaged by the North Africa campaign. Your heart torn, along with the ligaments in both your legs. No more rugby, no more cricket. Your dreams of aircraft design, fueled by flying reconnaissance in the last months of the war, were not to come about. No. You took a desk job in ICI to feed your family. What did you lose, Daddy? What did you gain as you balanced your dreams and your pain? Some appreciations come too late. I need make no effort here with you now as I peel away my scabs of resentment. The fresh blood of gratitude fills my eyes with tears. Such a beautiful story, David. Thank you so much. We are still waiting for you to make your debut at the Black Box, and we're really looking forward to it. Now, David found us during lockdown from his home in Donegal, and you can see some of his other stories on our YouTube channel. All our Zoom events are up there in bite-sized chunks. Also on there is our next 10x9er. Paul Bond travelled up to the big city from Monaghan with this wonderful story of gratitude. Oh, brother, where art thou? In 1976, we moved from Dundalk, which I thought was the centre of the universe, to what was actually the true centre of the universe, Monaghan. <laughs> I was nine. I had just finished third class in the Christian Brothers School, which is the equivalent of your year five, only not as logical. My mum thought the disruption of the move from one town to another would be minimised for me if she enrolled me in the Christian Brothers School in Monaghan, so she did. I don't remember being asked for my opinion, but this wasn't unusual. I was never asked for my opinion. At school I sat at the back of every class 
and I honestly don't recall ever being asked a single question. I wasn't asked to read anything out loud, to go to the board to do a sum, to point out a place on a map, or what I'd done over the holidays. And in my previous five years in Dundalk, I hadn't actually been taught by an actual Christian brother. I had seen them, of course, stalking the halls, wearing belted habits, black trousers, black socks, black sandals, looking the complete opposite of whatever you picture right now when you hear the word Christian. They always looked to be in a menacingly bad mood, and if they spoke, they confirmed it. The most menacing of all was Brother Dempsey, a giant of a man who strode the halls with large wooden rosary beads dangling from the left side of his belt and a leather strap hanging from the other. These were the glory days of corporal punishment, and it was widely rumoured that Brother Dempsey had a lead weight stitched into his leather strap to maximise its teaching potential. Everyone knew from their second day of school to avoid Brother Dempsey. I was happily sitting down the back of Mr. Power's class, minding my own business, drooling onto a maths book when I heard him say, I need someone to do an errand. A sea of hands shot up as usual, except mine, as over the last five years I'd learned that there was no point. Bond, he barked. Yes, sir, Mr. Power, I answered, standing up nervously, assuming I was in trouble for something. Come here, I need you to do an errand. Me, sir? Yes. Now, please. I floated up to the front of the class, carried on a wave of euphoria. Me? A swan? Bond! Yes, sir. Take that stupid grin off your face. Sorry, sir. I need you to go up to Brother Dempsey's class and ask for the blackboard compass. I was no longer smirking. I knew now why he'd asked me to do this errand. I was cannon fodder. No one would miss me. I trudged up the green polished cement stairs to Brother Dempsey's classroom where he was teaching fifth class, your year seven. I seemed to walk along the hallway in slow motion. I could feel my mouth drying up as I walked. I stood in front of the door, looking at my shoes and summoned up the strength to raise my arm and knock on the door. And then I saw it, a large sheet of paper sellotaped to the door shouting, Exam in progress. Do not disturb under any circumstances. Signed, Brother Dempsey. Hallelujah. I'd been saved. I skipped back downstairs to Mr. Power's room, knocked on the door, entered and proudly told him there was a sign on the door. Exam in progress. Do not disturb under any circumstances. Signed, Brother Dempsey. Get back up those stairs, knock on that door and tell him that Mr. Power needs the blackboard compass. I again trudged up the green polished cement stairs, moved slowly across the hallway, shuffling and sliding my feet along the floor, not having the strength to lift them. I stood outside the door. The sign looked even bigger and louder this time. I knocked on the door. I saw my hand knock on the door, but couldn't even be sure I could hear it myself as the blood was thumping through my ears. Could I just go back downstairs and take my punishment from Mr. Power? He just had a small stick that he'd hit us across the hand with occasionally and without any enthusiasm. Or would I dare just walk out the front door? Or the door flew open in a whoosh 
A gigantic Brother Dempsey stood before me. Can't you read? Yes, sir, Brother Dempsey, sir. What does it say? Examine progress. Do not disturb under any circumstances. Sign Brother Dempsey, sir. Brother Dempsey, sir. What class are you in? Mr. Powers, sir. Go back to Mr. Powers' class and tell him, sorry, Brother Dempsey, sir, but he put his finger to his lips to silence me. He put his other hand on the strap. Did you interrupt me? I nodded. No one interrupts me. I nodded again. I was welling up. I was trying to catch my breath. Finish your interruption. Sorry, sir, Brother Dempsey, sir, but I came up earlier to get the blackboard compass and saw the sign and went back to Mr. Power and told him that you weren't to be disturbed, but he sent me back up and... And? Brother Dempsey asked. I noticed his hand was no longer on his strap and there was something on his face that if it had been on anyone else's face, I would have called a smile. And, he repeated, and here we are, sir, Brother Dempsey, sir. <laughs> here we are indeed. Come in. I followed him into the classroom. All the boys had their heads down, writing away furiously. Here is your blackboard compass. Thank you, sir, Brother Dempsey, sir. I took the giant compass and made for the door. Does anyone know who this boy is? I heard Brother Dempsey ask. A couple of hands shot up. He ignored them and answered himself. Yes, you're right. The bravest boy in the school. <laughs> I closed the door and went and sat on the top step of the green polished cement steps and prayed that I'd never be taught by an actual Christian brother. We moved to Monaghan. I started fourth class and was introduced to my new teacher, Brother McCabe. Brother McCabe was not like the other brothers. He wore a black suit instead of a habit. He had long hair, but he had no rosary beads and more importantly, no strap. He had us act out plays in class. He had us doing projects on where our fathers worked, which we then took turns presenting to the class. He never hit anyone. He never gave us any homework. When we did end of term exams, he didn't use the pre-printed folded cards that all the other teachers used. He wrote each of our parents a two-page letter about each of us, really about each of us, what we liked, what we didn't, what we were great at and what we were not so good at. He read our stories out to the whole class. He coached us in soccer after school, unheard of in a Christian Brothers school. He took in a record player and played us the Beatles and Don McLean. We loved him. Our parents did not love him. <laughs> Have you no homework? What do you mean he doesn't hit anyone? <laughs> Is he a teacher at all? <laughs> plays. You're doing plays. At school. I only found out years later that lots of our parents complained to the school about him for being nice. He wasn't there the next year. I didn't realise it at the time, but I never sat at the back of any classroom after being taught by Brother McCabe. A few years ago, my soulmate and I were having dinner with another couple from Monaghan and the subject of past teachers came up. Who was the best teacher you ever had? Anne asked. Brother McCabe, Liam and I answered simultaneously and then spent an hour telling our partners about how wonderful that year had been 
and how it had changed our lives. And did you ever tell him? Well, no, obviously. He left Monaghan in 1977. We were 10 at the time and we never saw him again. He should know and, and my soulmate scolded. I wrote to the Christian brothers in Dublin asking if they could pass Liam and I's thanks on and got the following reply. Dear Paul, many thanks for your surprise email in appreciation of your old teacher of almost 40 years, Francis McCabe. I did not know him, but I was speaking to a brother the other day who did know him and he has the same opinion of him as you. He was in Monaghan CBS from August 1976 until January 1978 and left the congregation that same year. You and your friend were privileged to have such a brother teaching you and the way you described him reminds me of the film The Dead Poet Society where many people did not appreciate the teacher's enlightened approach to education. We have an association of former brothers who meet at various locations around the country for prayer and reflection and I will make inquiries if any of them are still in contact with Francis McCabe. They find these meetings a great support in their lives and many wives, partners also join them and they are a great support to us, the Christian brothers. Again, Paul, many thanks to you and your friend and especially your wives for suggesting that you contact us as in these times, it is always nice to hear some good news. If you are ever in Dublin, please do feel free to call in for a coffee. Kindest regards, Brother John Burke. That was five years ago. We have never heard anything further, but 10 by nine is magic, as we all know. So if you do ever hear this, Francis McCabe, thank you. You changed my life. Well, 10 by 9, there's your challenge. Do your magic and find brother Francis McCabe. Thanks so much, Paul. That was truly wonderful. And the joyous memories of corporal punishment in schools. Ah, the good old days. Now, 10 by 9 is always free and always will be. But we do have a Patreon page if you'd like to help cover our costs. We are so thankful to everyone who has donated or continues to donate. Or you can give via PayPal. Just look us up using our email address, which is story at 10by9.com. That is story at 10by9.com. Equally, you can just sit back and support us by turning up, by listening and enjoying. And that is it for this podcast. We love hearing from you and you can get in touch with us on social media, email or via our website, 10by9.com. Keep an eye out for upcoming events and themes and keep checking Eventbrite for tickets if you're coming to the black box. But be warned, tickets get snapped up very quickly. Tell as many people as you can about the podcast. I'll be back with another one soon. This podcast is a 10 by 9 production. For now, bye-bye.